Good, okay, well, let's uh, crack in. And uh, we are on week two of a series called Qualities of an Overcomer. And the key text is 1 John 5, and verse 4 says, Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Say that with me. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. So that means me and you and even them. Brilliant. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Last week as we kicked this off, I threw out there some teaser questions, really. And we ended up with questions like this. In, in this life right now, are you, would you say you were surviving, hanging in there? Or would you say on the flip side that you are thriving? Would you say that you were overcoming the world? Or would you say that the world was overcoming you? Would you say that you were leaving your mark on the world? Or would you say that the world was leaving its mark on you? And the point that we reached in the end was, would you say, would you describe yourselves as being under the circumstances or over the circumstances? Paul who said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And this passage here gives us a new expectation. And the new expectation is that everybody born of God overcomes the world. And overcomers overcome. That's what they do. The new nature we have. Having said all that, of course, we're realistic enough to know that in this life there will be challenges, they're inevitable. There will be tough situations. There might even be difficult people. They may be sitting next to you this morning, but don't give that away. You know, we call it testing, we call it persecution, but for sure it is coming your way. We also aware of the fact that the world is, is putting a pull strong on us, is tugging us in a certain direction, and the world is set up in direct opposition to God and the things of God. But we have this new destiny in Christ. We're, we're called to rise above. We're called to press through. We're called to overcome. Last week, that scripture in Romans 8, more than conquerors. But, but although this is our inheritance in Christ, although, as we read last week, we've been given all things pertaining to life and God is everything that we need, the very keys have been placed in our hands. The sad reality is that many Christians continue to live under and not over the circumstances. Many Christians, sadly, are being overcome by the world when we're called to be overcomers. So the big question that I want to press into through this course really is, how do we make this overcoming more than just a nice verse that we read in the Bible or a jolly song that we clap along to on a Sunday? How do we actually make it reality in our lives, in our homes, in our businesses, in our church, and so on? And, and you know, as a, speaking as a pastor, my pastoral cape on, mantle on for a moment. I just desperately want to see people overcoming. Amen. That's why I spend the time I do during the week 
That's why I have the sleepless nights. That's why I try and preach with all the enthusiasm I can muster on a Sunday morning. Because my heart for you is to see you overcome the world. And I believe that an important part of my mandate as pastor is to help you to accomplish that. So the question then becomes, what, what, what attributes, what qualities, what characteristics do we need if we're going to live as overcomers? What principles do we need to grab a hold of? What lessons do we need to learn? What attitudes do we need to cultivate? What habits do we need to get deeply ingrained? And hence, really, this series. For today, I want to zoom in on on a different verse. It's actually a chapter before. It's a great verse, 1 John 4, verse 4. And I think it's the NIV that says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Talk about, if you look in the context, it's talking about the spirit of the world, the spirit of Antichrist. You've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And the implication in that verse isn't just a tiny, weeny, little, incy bit greater, a touch stronger, slightly more powerful. The message says the spirit in you is far stronger than anything in the world. Luke 10 verse 19, I have given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So the big idea that I want you to catch this morning is this, that Christ in you and you in Christ makes you an overcomer. Christ in you and you in Christ makes you an overcomer. And I say this, with Christ in you, with Christ for you, with Christ with you, in you, how can you not overcome? You know, if the greater one lives in you, if the champion lives in you, if the creator lives in you, Christ in you and you in Christ makes you an overcomer. You know, and the greater, the stronger that reality is, the more you get a hold of that, the more you lean into it, the greater the degree of victory that you will have over the world will be. When it comes to it, do we understand how big God is? The God who breathed planets and galaxies into being. The the Bible says that he framed them, formed them with his fingertips. Do we really understand how big the God who lives in us is? Do we really know who we are in Christ? What we now have? The promises that now belong to us with our name on it? Do we really know what we now carry everywhere we go, every second of every day? The one who lives inside of us, who is empowering and enabling and guiding us. Do we know? Do we know the massive advantage that we now have? Read Colossians 2 verse 15 and read about how the enemy has been defeated and disarmed and discredited. You know, we are now the victors and he has become the victim. You know, we should live like that. And I ask you that question, do you live like a victor as though the enemy is a victim 
or is it the other way around? I want to illustrate this using a few diagrams. If I had my mathematical hat, I'd call them Venn diagrams, but there's a few here. So we can have the first one up. Diagram number one. This, this is what it looks like. And I'd like you to imagine we have the outer circle is one very big, very strong, very powerful God. And look where we are nuzzled. Right nicely there in Christ. And if we see the whole of life through that lens, that rather changes the perspective, doesn't it? Let's have a look at diagram number two. This actually is the diagram that the enemy wants us to picture. Here we have God, the big circle, me, little circle, is outside, removed, distant from God. As I said, that is what the enemy wants us to see. So we've got another one. This is a bit of a flip. This is a danger. This is a danger in which we become the big circle and God becomes the little circle. That's dangerous. Here's my favourite one. There's a couple more to go. This is my favourite. Here's God is big and there's me. And look who else is in the circle. There's you and you and you and you and you and you. That for me is a really powerful picture of who we now are. But it's not just great big God and little old me. Actually, there's a whole army, there's a whole body, there's a whole family, all of us together in Christ. And this last one, number five. This is the diagram where we become vulnerable. Again, great big God, little old me, outside, separate, distant, and look what's arrived, slap bang in the middle. There's a problem. I'm looking at that diagram, that circle, the problem's bigger than me, but it's certainly smaller than God. But if it places itself between me and God, the danger is actually I cannot see God. All I can see is, is this um, problem, slap bang in front of me. As I, as I ponder the Bible narrative, you know, the person who really got this, who really understood this, I think, better than anybody, was David and the wonderful story of David and Goliath. I'll just retell the story just to put it back in the forefront of your mind, and then we'll pick a few things out that David had and that David did that set him apart. Remember the story, there's this famous scene, and we've got a valley, and on either, the hills on either side, on one side we've got the Philistine army, and on the other side we've got the Israelite army, and they're camped, and they're ready. And you know what happens? the Philistines send out their champion. He's Goliath. The Bible describes him as being nine feet tall. His armour alone weighed nine stone. The, the spearhead of his, of his, of his, the, the iron head of his spear alone weighed 15 pounds. That's just the spearhead. I mean, this guy was terrifying. He was the strongest, he was the biggest, he was the bravest, he was the best. And here he is, presenting himself with this one-on-one -on -one challenge. You send out your champion, he says, looking down, and I'll fight them. And we'll settle this thing once and for all. And what happens? Well, read in 1 Samuel 17, verse 11, it says, The Israelites were terrified and deeply shaken. And then what happened is, for the next 40 days, Goliath does his thing. He comes out every day, he taunts them. He struts around, he stamps his big feet, he hammers his big spear on the ground and he puts himself in front of the 
Israelites. And then we pick up the story in verse 45. Again, making, making the story short. David said to the Philistine, Goliath, he said, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And think of those little Venn diagram pictures. Think of what David is seeing. Think about what the other Israelites are seeing. Think about what Saul is seeing. And think about the difference. Verse 46. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. You know, as we, as we ponder that, really, I think it would be fair to say, if, if, if overcoming was based on circumstances, D David is toast. I mean, David, the David who appears in this scene is a teenager. He's not even in the army. In fact, he's a shepherd boy. His claim to fame is that he's a really, really good harpist. I don't think that was going to put the fear of God into Goliath. So the question becomes, becomes what, what was it that David had? What was it that David knew what was it that David saw that no one else had? How was it that David could have this faith? How was it that he could have this boldness? How was it that he could be so different? Let's look at those three questions. What did he have? What did he know? And what did he see? First of all, as you can fill this in on your sheets if you've got them there. What did he have? He had real relationships. Real relationships. He knew his God. Verse 36, 1 Samuel 17, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised, keyword Philistine, will be like one of them because he has defied the arms of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, he'd walked with God. He knew God. He understood God. If we look, were to look at the Venn diagrams, David really had this solid picture of God, the big God on the outside, and me, little me, little David there, firmly ensconced in the safety, the umbrella of the God he served. You know, and if we, we read the Old Testament, particularly read the book of Psalms, we know that David had a deeply significant personal relationship and walk with God. The depth of his relationship blew out of the water the relationship that the other soldiers had or the relationship that his brothers had. He just dug so much deeper than them. And if you read the Psalms and, and read the, the rich worship that it contains in there and you can see the hunger that he had for the things of God, the intimacy that he longed for and was pressing into, you can see the revelation, the degree of revelation that he had directly prophetically from the Father, and, and how he understood the power of God. You see, David had sought the Lord and settled things that ordinary folks just hadn't begun even to wrestle with. 
God had made so much more of an impact, an imprint on his heart. David knew God. He knew his word. He knew his heart. He knew his plan. He knew how things worked. He understood God's power and his majesty and his holiness. He understood the covenant relationship that he was in. He understood Israel's place and he understood his own place. No wonder in the light of that he saw a completely different perspective to the others. And no wonder in the light of all that that he's described as a man after God's own heart. What did he have? He had a deep and a rich and a significant relationship with God the Father. And then what did he know? This little line, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's what he knew. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into a hand. If you look at the Venn diagram, it's the same one. Again, God on the outside, big God, little David in the middle. You see, for David, it wasn't just a matter of this massive, huge, enormous, big guy against what my Toby would say, this tinsy challenger. It wasn't just about the Philistines against Israel. It wasn't, it was, it was all of that. It was also about circumcised versus uncircumcised. It was also about the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob against the enemy of God we know as Satan. He saw so much more. What, what David was seeing here was the fact that this actually was a cosmic battle. This wasn't just one sweaty, hulking sword against another one. Actually, this was a whole different thing. Actually, this was about the devil trying to stamp out the seed, capital S, Jesus, Jesus' entry. And he recognized, he knew that God's plans just could not be thwarted, that they would not be thwarted. He knew that because it was God's battle, victory was inevitable. He knew that the ending had already been written. He knew that God would win crushingly and on his terms. And David recognized that actually all he needed to do was to learn how to cooperate with God. What did he know? He knew what was going on. He knew that the battle was the Lord's. He knew that he was part of something so much bigger. And then the third question, what was it that David saw? What could he see? And the answer was he could see how big his God was. Verse 45, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You know, and you probably heard this line before, Saul could only see how big Goliath was. David could only see how big God was. And again, if you look at the Venn diagram here, now you've got David safely inside the circle. There's the problem. There's Goliath. And I, I have this picture of David saying to Goliath, now who's the daddy circle? Right? Again, the big idea is that Christ in you and you in Christ makes you an overcomer. 1 John 4 verse 4, greater is he that is in you 
than he that is in the world. Romans 8.31, if God be for you, who can be against you? Romans 8.11, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells within you. Let us not fall into the trap, the easy trap, of underestimating the power of the living God. And everything that the God of this world does, is doing, and will do in the future is all designed, all working on trying to cultivate this illusion that God is not quite as big, he's not quite as powerful as we would like to think he is. And I'd say this, in your life there will be Goliaths. But Goliath isn't God. In fact, Goliath doesn't even come close. As Guy would say, this is not a fair fight. David could see that. Everyone else could only see what my children would describe as Goliath's big guns. It's all that he could see. David could see that. So as we, as we think about those three questions, there are various places we could go. It's such a rich passage, really. But, but the title today is, is this, Overcomers See the Bigger Picture. We see the bigger picture. You know, often, often in the middle of the storm, the picture seems murky, doesn't it? Sometimes the circumstances seem difficult, even hopeless. We would say that we struggle to see the wood from the trees. You know, it's so easy in our daily lives to get bound up, to get caught up, to get sidetracked by the details, by the particularities, by the firestorm that's happening all around us so that we can only see what's right in front of our noses. Perhaps in, in the circumstances, there's, there's just too much raw emotion. Perhaps there's too much bad history, water under the bridge. Perhaps there are such great complexities, there are factors that are seemingly out of your reach and beyond your control. But actually, if you're able to take a couple of steps back to that slightly separated and withdrawn and objective position, often the picture looks very different. You know, there's something about that withdrawn bird's eye view that gives you a perspective that the close-up just doesn't give you, that the action shot actually misses. And it's not until you start to see that wider, bigger picture that everything starts to make sense. From there, you've got a far better chance of seeing what God is doing what God is working, what God is orchestrating, what God is up to. I mean, we know Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good, for those called, and you know, we know that verse. We understand that God is working, that God is orchestrating, that God is in the middle of us. We understand that. But often, all we can see is the firestorm. We need to take a step back, and we can see what God is doing. And then we can see what the actual battle is, that's being fought and where the victory actually is to be won. To put that a slightly different way, often other people can see the things that you miss. Isn't that true? Because they're right in front of your nose. I mean, think about, you know, a tennis coach, you know, Andy Murray, Roger Federer, Rafael they have coaches. Those coaches are infinitely inferior tennis players than they are. They, well, in most cases. They, they know, these guys, they're better, they know everything there is to know. Why do they have a coach? 
because the coach is sitting up in the stands and the coach sees things differently. Sees things differently and helpfully. You know, and it's amazing, isn't it, how often we look at other people's circumstances, scratch our heads and think, how on earth have they missed that? It's obvious to me. Well, from that distant position, often things are clearer. And the answer in that person's situation is they just can't see it because they're too close, they're too involved, they're too emotionally heated. And the reality is, folks, quite often in our own circumstances, that's us. We're just too close, we're just too embroiled, we're just too emotionally heated to really see what's going on. See, David's advantage in this scenario, this battle scenario, is that he actually has come from outside the camp. The people inside the camp were so terrorised by Goliath and his strutting and his mocking and his stamping of his big feet They were so paralysed by fear that they couldn't see any further than right in front of their own nose. And he was nine feet tall. Actually, what they were seeing was exactly what the enemy wanted them to see. This loud, brash, impertinent thing that the enemy had slammed right in front of their noses to distract them from what God was doing. But because David came from outside the camp, he just saw through a completely different lens. He saw a bigger picture. He saw a wider panorama. And there is tremendous power in stepping back to see the bigger picture. Bit of a slightly trite example, but but if you go to the next slide, I think, Rod, a couple of pictures of, this is Mount Everest. I'm sure you all knew that. Um, Mount Everest is five miles high. Think about that. I get tired walking five miles on the flat let alone climbing a mountain that is one of the hardest in the world and is five miles high. Do you know that, that there have been 230, you didn't know, I'm going to tell you, 239 recorded fatalities trying to climb that mountain, 150 bodies that have never been found. And we're talking about the best, the most skilled, the most expert climbers in the world in those statistics. The point being, It's a big mountain. It's a massive, great, big, old mountain. Now let's have a look at the next slide. This is what God sees. I think it's the one right in the middle. And if that doesn't make the point clear enough, let's have a look at the next slide here. Uh, There it is. You see it? There's the big problem. There's the big mountain. You see, an overcomer is going through the same circumstances as everyone else. Possibly even worse. But they see differently. They know, was it know, have and see? They know God better. They understand what they have. And they can see a bigger picture. For them, there are certain immovable pillars holding up their superstructures. They know who their God is. They know what the real mission is. They know the agenda that's being fought out. They know what it is that they carry. They know, they understand the anointing and the authority and the promises that abide within them. Part Part of overcoming is action step, action step, action step. It's doing the right things at the right time. Doing the same things over and over. 
One of the, the titles in the series is going to be called The Power of Consistency. Um, and of course, we understand the power in doing the right things consistently, repeatedly. There's a, there's, there are winning keys in those good habits. But the things that we are doing have to be the right things. You know the old line, practice makes perfect. I can never forget my maths teacher when I was doing A-level maths saying, no, 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 good practice makes perfect. Bad practice actually makes it worse. You've got to be doing the right things. And unless you have the bigger picture, you're in danger, actually, of missing the point. You know, when you start off a journey, if you start off just one degree out and start walking, how far off course are you after 100 miles? So unless we know why we're doing what we're doing, unless we know how these repeated action steps are going to get us to where we want to go, we're in danger of making wrong choices, of reacting badly, even of fighting the wrong battles. We must have the bigger picture perspective right. I'll give you a couple of examples for that. You see, if you see temptation in isolation, temptation to sin, you can convince yourself that it's a once-off that it isn't that bad, that it won't cause too much damage. But if you can step back and see the bigger picture, you see what the enemy's strategy is, what he's trying to work in this situation, where it leads, the consequences, the potential bondage, then you'll see that one isolated incident in a very different light. However strong the pull of temptation is, you need to step back and start looking at the bigger picture. Another message in this series, I think, is going to be resist now to win later. Another example will be often the flash arguments that we have are not so much about root, but actually about symptom. I've had a bad day. I'm angry. You hurt me. We disagree. And actually what's going on there is far bigger and far wider than that. There are bigger issues at stake. Maybe it's not so much about what's happened right in front of your nose. Maybe it's that you're just communicating poorly, both of you. Maybe it's there's a relationship here and you're just not investing in it. Maybe there are insecurities that are being exposed by the issues. Maybe you're not listening to God. Maybe you're disobeying the word, whatever it is. The point is if you will step back out of that incident, if you could press pause, as the argument's going on, pull yourself away and look and ask yourself, come on, what's really going on here, Lord? What, what are the big issues? Yeah, we're arguing about the dinner was cold, whatever it is. But not, what's the big issue? What's really happening here? Tremendous power in stepping away, seeing the bigger picture. You see, we say, don't we, that the battle belongs to the Lord. We know the text, we sing the song, we understand the principle. We know that it's not about us. We recognize really that it's about God. But it's amazing how quickly and how easily we can make it about us. And, and therefore it becomes dependent on us and it becomes focused on us. And this is exactly what the enemy wants. That's the view he wants you to see. And we know that the enemy knows exactly which buttons to press. 
He knows where the anxieties are. He knows where the insecurities are. He knows where the fears are. He's very good at it. And he's mean. And the way to overcome all of that is to take a couple of steps back to look at the big picture and ask God what is really going on. So in your situation, in what you're facing right now, what's the bigger picture? What's the wider view? If you're in a relationship crisis, the question isn't how do I win the next argument? The question is what would Jesus do to heal this schism? What do I I need to change? What, What do I need to sacrifice? Where do I need to sacrifice? What do I need to let go? What boundaries perhaps need to be put in place? If you're facing a tough, pivotal business decision, it's very easy to get sucked in and drawn into that. But what about stepping back and saying, okay, why? Why am I doing this? What is this for? How does this take us where we need to go? Does it even take us where we need to go? Maybe we're just half a degree out, 100 miles on. Will have missed it. How do I heal that wounded heart? If you can't see any further than the end of your own nose, you'll continue to put up defensive shields and masks. You'll continue to close down relationships that actually could be really helpful. But if you can step back and see what God is saying to you, asking this, Lord, tell me what's going on. Tell me who I am in your eyes. How do you see me? How do you see my relationships? How do you see my circumstances? Lord, can you show me why is it that I respond the way that I do? Can you show me what lies have I believed and bought into? Point is, as I wrap up here, there is tremendous power in seeing the bigger picture. And our pursuit in life must be to try and see as much as we possibly can through heaven's eyes. Remember, Christ in you and you in Christ makes you an overcomer. So if David asked, if we pondered David, it was what does he have, what did he know, and what did he see? Let's ask those same questions for us. What is it that we have? What is it that we know? And what is it that we see? And if we can get that established, can't we have the same victory that David had over Goliath? What is it that we have? We have Christ in us and us in Christ. We have to press into that relationship. We must make walking with the Lord, that intimacy, our top priority. What do we have? What do we know? God's word in you and you in God's word. Growing secure in knowing him in knowing his ways and his heart and his promises, getting a hold of our true identity in Christ, how he has accepted us, the security that we now have because our feet are planted on the rock. Everything that we now are in Christ Jesus, we need to know what that is. And what is it that we see? Ultimately, what is the big picture? What are the purposes of God? What is the mission of God? Of God, What is heaven's agenda? We need to make sure that we don't just see through our natural eyes, but we learn to see through the eye of faith. They're not just 
fleshly problems, but there are spiritual solutions. 1 John 4 verse 4, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Okay, so what's the challenge in all of that? I'd invite you as we spend a little bit of time in uh, ministry and worship this morning, I'd encourage you to take these things to the Lord. Here are some thoughts for you to take to him this morning. First one would be this. If you take two steps back from where you are right now, what is it that the Lord is doing? I mean, I don't know what you're facing this week. You may be facing some really significant challenges, crises, difficulties. They may be big, they may be small, but they're significant to you anyway. The question is, if you were to take a couple of steps back and say, God, show me, what are you doing? What, 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 what are you, what's happening here? What, what character is it that you're looking to build in me? What perspectives are you trying to shift? What priorities in my life are you realigning? And if we ask ourselves questions like this, the way we observe those difficult circumstances, challenging relationships, the tests and trials, will change completely because we can start to see God's purposes in them. And all of a sudden, Goliath goes from being big and scary to very small in the face of the greatness of God. Another thought, as, as you step back, who or what actually is the enemy? What's the agenda being fought out here? What is the win, really? Because ultimately, the battle is the Lord's. If you take a couple of steps back today from what's right in front of your nose, from what you're facing, ask yourself this, Lord, what is it that I need to see? Let's pray. If the worship team would like to come forward, that would be great. Lord, we're thankful for that wonderful story of David and Goliath and all that it shows us and all that it teaches us and all the wonderful pictures in there. Thank you for the inspiration of David. We want to thank you, Jesus, that you came and you won the victory, that you hung on the cross for us, that you paid the price for us, that you rose victorious from the grave for us, that you placed a robe of righteousness on us, that you've given us the Holy Spirit to equip and enable us. We thank you for your word, thank you for the promises that tell us that everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is our destiny. Lord, we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know what exactly it is that we have and we carry, what the agenda is, what the bigger picture is. So easy to get sucked in, absorbed with the here and now and the firestorm and the next crisis in front of us. Lord, we need to step back. We need to have that wider view. In the small circumstances and the big ones, we need to be able to know, Lord, what it is that you are saying. What is it that you are doing? That's how an overcomer thinks. That's what they do. That's why they can be content whatever the circumstance. That's why they can live under, over the circumstances rather than under. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room today. As we just spend a little bit of time now, Holy Spirit, just listening to you, I pray that you'd stir and that you would show 
and that you would reveal. Out of all that's been said and sung this morning, Lord, that you would shine your light on something significant, one step that we can take, one different perspective than we can catch. Help us, Lord, to see what you see. How much easier, how much better, how much more victorious life would be if we could see what you see. In Jesus' name. Amen. What we're going to do this morning is um, we're going to have a time of uh, ministry and response. Uh, the kids are ready to be picked up about 20 past 12, so we've got plenty of time. Over here, we have a prayer ministry area. If you'd like someone to pray with you, over you, for you, in any area of your life, whether it's physical sickness or challenges, decisions, relationships, anything, please feel free to come forward. We'll pray for you gladly, happily. If you'd like to do business with God in any way, shape or form, again, we, we tend to set this side of the church over. If you want to come and sit down over here or kneel down or pray those big prayers or invite God in, whatever you want to do, please do. But ultimately, my, my challenge to you is just to ask God those questions today and say, Lord, what can I do? What do I need to do to move from being overcome to being an overcomer? Why don't we stand? And we're going to sing. Feel free to come forward as, as, as you wish to. And we'll close in a minute. to see beyond